Just a little more about this Texas girl. She's from Texas, down in Houston. And, and uh, she, uh, after the, uh, running that marathon with her prosthetic leg or just getting to do the final part of that race, as her doctors permitted her to do that, uh, you know, what a great high experience in her life. And right after that, uh, she was proposed to by her college sweetheart. They got married. She got pregnant. I mean, another great mountaintop experience in her life, valleys and mountaintops. And not long after that, though, uh, just this past year, uh, she nearly lost her life due to complications in childbirth. Just her story. Just conti- and, and nearly lost their daughter as well, who was born premature. I think we have a picture of her there with her daughter. But this is what Rebecca Gregory wrote, okay, on her Facebook post, she said this, and I love this because she's just an everyday person. She said, she said this, as thankful as I am to be out of the woods, our precious baby has much, a much longer road ahead. This is big, but we still believe that our God is bigger, uh, and, and prayer is a very powerful thing. That's what she said. As she's gone through this nearly near-death experience again and the near-death law and the loss of uh, nearly the loss of her daughter. And I love her story because again, she's just a person like we are that goes through ups and downs in our lives. We all go through those times within our life where life just kind of comes crashing in on us in waves, literally. And that's really kind of what happened to her is one thing right after another. And you know what I love about her and people like that is you find this spirit of perseverance in their lives. They persevere through things like this. It's not that they don't wonder and struggle and question things, but they persevere. But what you also find is you find that they gain perspective, right? And those are two key qualities in anybody who's going to make it through times like that is they have to persevere and they have perspective. It was interesting that she had a little bit of a sense of humor, right? And that's sometimes all that you can do when you look at certain situations like this. But and not only did she go back and finish the, the Boston Marathon there, which I just think was so incredible, was that she went back and faced those fears there, right, and finished that race. But she's running her race of life well and wants to finish that well. She is using this pain that has happened in her life. She's using it now as fuel and as a motivation. She's become a motivational speaker. Here's a picture of her throwing out, I think we have that, the the first pitch at the uh, Astros game. She goes around speaking now, encouraging people. And listen to what she said. Here's a quote from her. She said this, I truly believe that I have found my purpose in life and it is to inspire and encourage other people. If my words can do something like that for someone, I would get blown up again tomorrow. What perspective, right? To understand this, it's purpose in our pain. You know, last week in our first service, you guys, I shared this, I think, with this service, but last week we prayed over one of our church members. He's in a wheelchair. He sits usually right up over here in the first service. His name is Jimmy Chestnut. Jimmy and I grew up together, and, and you know, and for several, the last few years, Jimmy's been struggling. He struggles being, uh, with being in his wheelchair. He hurts all the time. His body physically hurts, but uh, this last Sunday, we prayed for him as he was going to be going over uh, to Belize on a mission trip, his first mission trip that he's ever gone on. And he was going to be partnering with a group called Access Life. And they're going to be going there to Belize to help people find uh, and raise funds for wheelchairs for people that don't have those. Isn't that great? And Jimmy, over the last few years, has, has met with me and Pastor Randy, and he struggled. He's like, I don't understand why I'm in this wheelchair. I don't get this. You know, it's hard for me. I don't know what my purpose is. Last Sunday, after we prayed over Jimmy, this was so incredible. He's rolling out these doors right here, he looks back at me and with a big smile on his face, he says, Pastor, I found my purpose in life. And I love that. 
I love when people understand, uh, you know, they may not understand the things they're going through, but they, but they are determined to use the things that are, have happened in their lives for God's glory, right? Well, here's a thought if, as we continue to look into the life of Joseph. If you're taking notes this morning, you can go ahead and start turning with me to, Jonah, to Genesis chapter 39. Just go ahead and go there. But as you're turning over there, here's a key thought, right, that I want you to write down if you're taking notes. Write this down as we look at Joseph's life. Even when our plans fail, here's what we find. When our plans fail, when things don't work out the way that we think that they should, God's plans always prevail. We cannot stop God's plans. He's sovereign over our lives. He's sovereign over the world. Even when things don't work out in our life the way that we pictured them, you know, the way that we thought things would would happen, even whenever we hit rock bottom, even when life takes you on those unexpected detours, have you ever been on one of those? Where you're like, how in the world did I end up here? How did we get like this? Or how did our family end up the way that it is? And, right? and, and what we learn is that God's plans for his children, they always prevail, even when our plans do not. And in Joseph's story, what we find is that no person, no man, no set of circumstances, not even Satan himself can thwart God's purpose and God's plan for our lives. Even when, we, even when we all end up at one point or another, we all end up on that southbound road to Egypt like we talked about last week. We're on that road to Egypt when you look at Joseph's life, just like he so suddenly experienced Going from this place where he was comfortable to now he's on a road wondering how in the world did I end up here where he was in a foreign country, different kind of place, different culture, uncomfortable, not like anything that he's ever experienced in his life. He went through this harsh life experience where Joseph that finds himself on this southbound road to Egypt. And then as we continue to read his story, and we will today, this was certainly a place that he never thought he would end up. You know that Egypt was not something that was in the plans for Joseph. He didn't think, as God had given him this dream of being this great ruler, he probably never imagined that it would end up one day uh, or that he would go through this experience of betrayal that he did at the hands of his brothers, that he would become a slave in the process. I mean, his brothers threw him in this pit. They literally sold him down the river into slavery. And you know, Joseph at times on that road to Egypt or while he was in Egypt must have thought, how in the world did I end up here? How did this happen? God, is this really what you have for my life? At one time or another, I know we've all thought that. Maybe that's where you're at today with, with something that maybe is, that is going on in, that is perhaps happening in your life. How did my life turn out like this? And maybe you're at the bottom right now, kind of rock bottom, where life bottoms out and it just sometimes leaves us dazed. Sometimes we're a bit confused with, with what we're going to do, you know. And this experience of being betrayed by his own brothers being sold out in slavery by his own flesh and blood, feeling that deep pain of betrayal that he must have just, it must have hurt him so much, watching, literally watching his brothers walk out of his life over the horizon. You know, he must have thought this, going from being this prosperous son to now a pitiful slave. And it happened so suddenly in Joseph's life. Life just sucker punched him. And now it's, life can just be cruel like that, right? And now he's on the auction block of slavery in Egypt. 
where he would be bought by a man named Potiphar. We'll look more at Potiphar next week, but he's rock bottom. He's in Egypt, where some of you may feel like you are with whatever experience you're going through. Rock bottom is a place that a lot of us are familiar with at one time or another within our lives. Maybe you're there now. Maybe you've come out of that and things are getting better. And I don't mean to discourage you today, but the reality is that this life is pretty tough in this, on this side of heaven. It's broken. The world's broken. And if you've not hit rock bottom at one time or another, you are going to go through that. You're going to go through something challenging in your life. Maybe for you, the rock bottom is something that's very familiar to, do, to you. Maybe that's what happened, you know, when your, your marriage fell apart or somebody walked out on you that you were counting on. Maybe you got a bad, a bad diagnosis from the doctor or even worse, uh, someone that you love got a bad diagnosis and you so much wish that it were you instead of your loved one, right? Maybe for you, it's that you lost your job and that happens to a lot of folks. Maybe you can't pay the bills or you perhaps are in the middle of a political storm at work or whatever and it's just kind of just life is chaos right now and it's, it's a struggle for you right now and maybe someone's walked out on you or, or maybe you just got the dreaded phone call. I don't know what the phone call was about, but you know what I mean. Whenever you get it and it just, it's like someone just punches you in the gut and you were not expecting that. We said last week, that's Egypt. That is Egypt. When you look at that scenario, we find that it's Egypt. And Joseph got a rude introduction to the season of Egypt. Nothing could have prepared him for this. There wasn't an education for this. He was going through his education, as we said, the school of hard knocks at this point. I want to ask you this. What has your season of Egypt been? You probably can identify it pretty quickly. Are you there now? Maybe you're in that place where it's Egypt. And now as you think about Joseph, and as we continue reading his story today in chapter 39, and you think about all the stuff that this kid, he was 17 years old, that he went through in his young life so suddenly, and how devastating life was to him at this point through the betrayals of family members that hurt him and the cruelty that they showed him, this sudden, unexpected, devastating, repeated blows where life just is like these waves crashing continually. That's what you'll find in Joseph's life, in his story, where you're literally, literally you feel like you're getting kicked when you're already down. Kind of like Rebecca Gregory's story, right? She gets her leg blown off, and, and the next thing you know, she's getting married, and then she nearly loses her life. I mean, it's just life's like that, right? Do you identify? That's really so much what life is like as we go through these things, and you almost cringe to think about what Joseph's response is going to be. What would he be like in response to this terrible stuff that he goes through in his life? What are we going to find when we continue to read? Do we, do, do we find a young man who's just grown just increasingly hardened and bitter? Is that what we're going to find? Are we going to find this person that's bitter towards everyone and everything and mad and angry with God. I mean, wouldn't you be if, if you went through something like that? Or maybe we find that his story just continues to spiral downward and we find as we turn the pages that we find that he's addicted to some outside substance because he's needing to, to find some sense of relief, right? I mean, doesn't he deserve that kind of relief? And as 
in his life? Or, or would we find a, a man who's just completely given up on life as a whole? And rather than just trying to live his life and move forward with life, he's just existing now. And he has no sense of purpose whatsoever. And he's, he's not living. He's just existing. And he's angry. And he's numbed out to everyone and everything. And he's bitter. Or he's addicted to something. And I mean, isn't this the common response that we find so often in people when they go through hard times? I mean, it's very common for, for people to get angry and bitter. It's a common response for people to turn to outside substances and next thing you know, they're addicted to something and then life starts spiraling even quicker downward. Or depression, they turn to where they're depressed and, and they're numb towards everything around them. Or, or maybe they, they've gone through a betrayal and, and they spend their life plotting revenge. Well, here's a good question in light of Joseph's life that I think a practical application that we need to ask today. And I want you to ask yourself this. What is my typical response when life gets hard? What do you turn to? What, what happens when life puts a squeeze on you? Whenever life gets hard, and it will, and it has, and maybe you're going through it now, where do you turn? Do you get bitter? Do you get just really bitter, and people see bitterness in you, and you're hard to be around because you're so angry with everyone, and it just it oozes out of you, the bitterness does? Do you turn to an outside substance? I mean, I've shared with you guys before when I really was going through a difficult time, and sometimes I find myself really struggling with this now, that, that I'm a stress eater, right? And I might turn to food. That's an outside substance other than turning to God. I might turn to food, or maybe you turn to alcohol. Some of you might turn to pain medicine to try to escape. Maybe it's binge TV. I don't know. Where do you turn Whenever life gets hard, do you just try to numb out? If someone's hurt you, are you plotting revenge? Are you thinking about how you're going to get even? Is that what comes out? Just as a side note, someone did something that really hurt one of my family members. It was nobody in the church. It was where they work. And they were sharing with me, and it was one of my family members. And they were telling me, not because they wanted me to fix it. They were telling me because they were wanting me to pray for them. And I was so angry for them. I was angry at the person who hurt my family member, right? And they were telling me this, and they just wanted me to pray. And so uh, just right after that conversation, a little later on that day, I went out for a run that day, and I was, as I was running along, my mind just kind of is racing at that point. And I'm thinking about what they told me that this person did to them that was so unjust. And I'm thinking about uh, just the ways that I could maybe try to fix this. My mind starts drifting. And before you know it, I'm having, as I'm running along the road there uh, on Bolt Club Road, I'm having this conversation with that person who hurt my loved one. And I'm letting them have it while I'm running. I probably look crazy running down Bolt Club. I'm just saying, all right? I'm running down the road and I'm having that conversation probably, you know, kind of rolling my neck. Does anybody else have conversations with people like that? Raise your hand. We need counseling, don't we? We need help, right? And I'm doing that and I'm thinking, I'm telling, I'm letting them know I'm running along. How dare you do my family? I'm going to do everything within my power. To try. And I'm just plotting it how I'm going to, how I'm going to set the record straight. And there was a moment that happened while I was running there. I was so angry. I was really running fast that day. And I was so angry, right? 
And then I started praying to God because that's also a time where I take time to really, I talk to God a lot while I'm running and while I'm out exercising. And I started talking to God instead of talking to that person who wasn't there and didn't care. I started talking to God and doing what that person had asked me to do was to pray for them. And I'm praying this out and I'm mad and I'm talking to God about this. And I felt like God was saying into my spirit at that moment, Bart, I know how much you love your family member. I know how much you want to set the record straight, but here's the thing, son. I love your family member even more than you do. And I'm the one that's in control of their life. You're not. And then the passage of scripture came to my mind where God says, it is mine to avenge. It's not yours. I set things straight. You let this go and you do what, what they asked you to do and what you know you should be doing, which is what you're doing right now. You just keep praying. And so I was praying as I was running along. I probably still look crazy, but it didn't matter, all right, because I was talking to God. But, 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 you know, and so what do we want to do when something like that happens? We start, our minds start going down when something bad happens. It starts going down this road of revenge or it starts going down this road of control or it starts going down this road of addiction or it goes down the road of where many people end up bitterness. And they're bitter because of what has happened, right? What is your response when life sucker punches you? And it's going to. When it happens in your life, we have to remember this. We have to remember that God is the one that controls our lives. We learned last week that he is the master weaver. As, as, as we looked at just for a moment the end of Joseph's story, and he could look back at, with hindsight and see that God was always weaving his life together into this beautiful tapestry that brings God glory. What happened with Joseph when all this bad stuff went down in his life where we find him bitter. Let's look in chapter 39. Now, let me just say, at the end of chapter 37, what you'll find is his brothers deceive their, their father, Jacob. Uh, and, and it's interesting because this is what Jacob has sown in all of his life, is deception. And now his own sons are deceiving him. And they're taking Joseph's special coat, and they dipped it in blood of an animal. And they lied to their father, and they said that Joseph was dead. And they broke their father's heart. They didn't care. They hated Joseph so much. This is what they did in selling him into slavery. Now, in chapter 38, we won't look there today. You can look on your own reading. But what you're going to find is a stark contrast of the character of one of the sons of Jacob, Judah, with, as we look in chapter 39, the character of Joseph. That chapter, what you're going to find in 38 is you're going to find in Judah's story, just a a quick detour out of Joseph's life, you're going to find uh, a person who is incredibly unethical. You're going to find Judah as someone who commits sexual immorality. And then now we're going to look at chapter 39 this week and next week, and you're going to see a contrast in Joseph's response to hardship. You see, all the brothers of Joseph, they were bitter. And so it was manifesting itself in all these other kinds of ways, but we see something happening in Joseph's life. In chapter 39, let's look at Joseph's response. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by, his, by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now, look at verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything that he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything that he did. 
This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything that he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and his livestock, what does it say, happened? Flourished, or they they were blessed. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything that he owned. And with Joseph there... He didn't worry about a thing. That's Potiphar. He wasn't worried, except what kind of food to eat. What a bargain, right? Okay, he's got this guy running his house. What's for dinner? That's all he's saying. I'm, I'm good, right? I've got Joseph that's taking care of things. Well, what a turn of event of events in Joseph's life that just happens in a matter of five verses. He goes from having nothing, right? Going, going from being this slave with no rights Coming into this foreign land, no family, no friends, no influence, nothing. The only thing Joseph had was a personal relationship with God and a call on his life. That's it. And nobody could take that from him. And that's where he's at. How in the world do we explain this turnaround in his life, going from having nothing to this this slave with no rights to now he's this this administrator entrusted with all of the household of this guy who is an officer of of Pharaoh, the, the king of Egypt, right? How does this happen, right? I mean, it had to have been his charisma. It had to have been, you know, just, just because he knew how to work his way and manipulate things and take control of things. I mean, remember what we said, even when our plans fail, God's plans always prevail. Joseph never thought he'd end up in this place in Egypt. He never knew he'd end up in Potiphar's house. What happened? Well, the writer of this passage points to the key to Joseph's success. Uh, very plainly, in the five verses in the original language that this is written in the Hebrew, there's a phrase that is used four times in those five verses. It's very apparent that the, that the writer wants us to understand why Joseph had the favor of God. I want you to see this, okay? Look at this. There's this phrase in Hebrew, and here's what it is. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Now, we're going to say it this way today. The Lord, what we find is his success is that the Lord never left Joseph. While he was on the road to Egypt, he was still there. And while he was on the auction block, he was still there. While he was in Potiphar's house, far away from home, the Lord never left Joseph. Look at the passage again, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did. Potiphar noticed this, verse 3, and realized, look at this, the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything that he did. I want you to really take note of this, that now someone else is noticing God was with Joseph. Someone else is noticing there's something different about the way this guy responds. There's something different about this particular slave. He responds to hardships differently. Look at verse 5. The Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. That's that same kind of blessing. God was with Joseph there. That's another place where that, that phrase is found in Hebrew. And now others are being blessed. Others around Joseph are being blessed because God's just all over Joseph. 
all over him. And isn't that how we as believers are supposed to be in our corrupt world? What did Jesus say? You're to be salt. You're to be light. You're to be in this world, not of this world. And others around you where you work should, should end up being blessed because the favor of God being upon you. Because you're so close to God that, he, that his presence is all over you and he's oozing out of your life. Look at verse five, the last part. All his household affairs ran smoothly. His crops and his livestock, what does it say? What's the word? Flourished. That's the word blessed. They were blessed because, was it because he was so charismatic? Was it because he was a master manipulator? I mean, Joseph's story reminds us that the true key to success in our life as a believer, and it's so different than all the formulas that we find in self-help books that are all over the place to say, you've got you to turn to your inner strength, you know, and we kind of, we're, we're, we're sold this, this thought of, if it's going to be, it's up to me. Now, let me, let me just say this, all right? There is truth in that. I'm not saying this, that we are not to take personal responsibility for our lives. I'm not saying that we should just sit passively by doing nothing. I'm not saying if you don't have a job, don't go look for a job. You should be looking for a job, okay? I'm not saying that uh, if you have a test coming up uh, that you shouldn't study. Don't say Pastor Bart said that, okay? All right? You, you should study, you're going to find that Joseph was very actively going about his business. He wasn't sitting passively by, but we see that the key to his success is being pointed to us. It's this, God was all over Joseph's life. I mean, he was all over his life. He was in close relationship with God. It was the presence of God in Joseph's life. We see that Joseph, as we continue reading his story, he was a man who walked with God. He was a man who was with God. Even in the, even in the tough place in his life, he knew that God was with him. God's hand was all over him everywhere that he went, even in the dark places there, even in the tough circumstances. This passage is not trying to build Joseph up into some kind of superhero. Rather, what we're seeing, it's more a passage of what it looks like when God's hand and his blessing is on the life of one of his followers. It shows us what that looks like. It's a passage about God's plan for our lives being unstoppable, that nobody can stop that. Even when you're in a detour, even when you're in a tough place, that even, even what Satan's trying to work into your life for bad, that God is the master weaver and he still can use it for good. God's presence in Joseph's life was the key to his success. His presence permeating his soul. Joseph got this. His family might have abandoned him, and they did, right? They walked out of his life, but God never left him. God never left him in Egypt. God was all over him and filling him up with this living water. It was overflowing out of his life so much that now Potiphar's saying, there's something about that guy. There's something about this guy. Potiphar noticed God in Joseph, and it got me thinking this week, I was thinking about this as I go through, you know, difficult times at different points in my life. I mean, I just had to ask myself, is that what people see in me? When I go through stuff, do they see God in me? When I get squeezed a little bit, you know, do they see God coming out of my life? God's presence, God's peace, even in hardships. You know, here's the thing. God never left Joseph. And if you write, write notes, I encourage you to write this down. This, this is something as a child of God, you've got to take this with you today. The Lord, as he never left Joseph, the Lord will never leave you either. Amen, right? He will not leave you. He has never left you. 
He will not leave you. I mean, even, even in your Egypt, maybe you really need to hear this today. Did you know that you will never go to a place where God is not? God has gone before you. He comes behind you. Listen to what David, King David said about this in Psalms 139. Listen to what he says. He understood the presence of God in his life. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on me. That's like what happened with Joseph, right? You place your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too great for me to even understand. I can never escape your, your spirit. I can never get away from your, what does it say, church? Your presence. Your presence. If I go up to heaven, that's the mountaintop, right? What does he say? You're there. Or if I go to the lowest place in life, the grave, or maybe I'm burying someone in the cemetery, he says, you're still there. David lists all these places. If you keep reading, good, bad. Joseph would have written it like this. Even when I'm in the pit, you were there. Even when I got sold out by my brothers, you were there. Even as I'm on the road, the foreign road, going down southbound to Egypt, God, you never left me. You were there with me. You were gone before me. You were even in Egypt before I even got there. When I was on the auction block, you were there. When I was in Potiphar's house, you were there. We'll see soon that he's going to go to prison next. You're there. God, you're always there. You never left me. Your hand of blessing has always been upon me. And maybe you just need to be reminded of that today. Maybe if you would have penned this like David did, you could say this. When I go to the doctor, you're there. When I'm going into that tough conversation, God, you're already there. When I'm, when I'm going into that and I get that bad report and I'm dealing with that and trying to figure it out and make sense of it, God, you're still there. You haven't left me. When I'm down at the unemployment office, you're there. You're always going ahead of me. When I'm alone after my spouse walks out, everyone else has abandoned me. God, you are there. That's what we learn about God in this situation, in Joseph's life. Think about wherever it is, where's your calendar going to take you the next couple of days? Start thinking about it. Maybe it stresses you out. Maybe you've got a tough thing happening at work. Maybe you have a conversation that's going to happen. Maybe it's, you've got a difficult test coming up in school. Maybe you've got something going on in your family. Where's your calendar going to take you? Here's what the point is. God's already there. He's already ahead of you. He goes ahead of you. He comes behind you. He's walking with you. He's never left you. Sometimes maybe we don't sense that he's there, but what this indicates is that he's, his presence is there. He's near, he's present, and this is the phenomenal thing. Oh, I hope you catch this today. Do you know that you have just as much access to the same God that Joseph had access to? Isn't that awesome? Do you know as a pastor, I don't have any more access to God than you do? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, the veil has been torn in two. You have what we call the priesthood of every believer. You enter into the holy presence of God when you so choose because of Jesus. Praise God for that. I don't have more access than you do. You're as close to God as you want to be. 
And, and, and God is there. Curiously, though, and the majority of people are oblivious to the presence of God. Many people go through their lifetimes and they're living their life and they're trying to figure everything out on their own and fix all of their problems by themselves and thinking that the only solution is found from within, you know, rather than God being the one to, to bring about things in their life as they walk with him, as they seek him first, as they trust him first. And God has given us a story of Joseph to remind us that our success is found because the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him and he so desires to be with you. He so desires to be with those who love him, who pursue him, who walk with him. He wants to place his hand of blessing upon you, not so that you're blessed and you receive all the, the benefits. He blessed Joseph to be a blessing to others. That's what the favor of God is all about. The favor of God upon us is we receive the favor of God because God doesn't want you to hold that for your selfishness. He wants you to use it for the world. He wants you to go about being his light. A little later on, by the way, as we see this in, in so many of these great men and women of God throughout the scriptures, you see it in Joseph. You see it in Moses, David, Daniel, Peter, Paul, all in the hard times, the presence of God permeating from them when they get squeezed by life. A little later on in the story, Moses, this is 400 years later, he has kind of the reversal of fortunes, right? He's a prince, and now he's out in the desert. And he's trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do, what's my purpose in all of this, and we see God has woven his life together as well. And now he's like being told by God to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt. They're there uh, 400 years later. Now they're all slaves, as, as you know the story, right? And he's like, how am I going to do this? Who am I? I don't, I don't know how I can be a speaker. I can't do this. And look at what God says in Exodus 33. One day Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land. You've given me this mission, It's huge. He's overwhelmed. He feels inadequate. But you haven't told me whom you will send with me. Are you sending an angel to go with me? Are you going to send some other people to help me? You've told me, I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. And he's saying, thank you, God. I appreciate that. If it's true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways. I want to understand uh, you more fully. I want to continue to enjoy your favor. This is all about a relationship. It's all about the presence of God. Now look at what God says to Moses. And I really believe this, that God wants to say this to you today too. Listen to this. The Lord replied. In fact, will you read it with me out loud? What does he say? I will personally go with you. That is the presence of God. I'm going with you. I'm not sending someone else. I'm going with you. I personally will go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. If you're going to, if you'll trust in me, then I'm with you. My presence is with you. You can rest. You can actually have peace in the midst of the chaos. Everything, he says, it's going to be fine for you. You know why he's saying that? Because I'm the one that has your life in my hands. Pharaoh doesn't. The nation of Israel doesn't. I do. I'm God. And I'm going ahead of you and I'm coming behind you. God says, Moses, trust in me, my purpose and my plans for you and for the nation of Israel. They will prevail, not because of your clever ways, not because of your charisma, not because of what you think you can do. My presence is going ahead of you. I've got this, is what God is saying. David 
who created his own Egypt. As you know his story, he was a man after God's own heart, but he failed miserably, and he created an Egypt in his life when he, when he uh, committed adultery. And then we know and find out he committed murder, and, the, Na- and pro- the prophet Nathan calls him out and calls him to repentance. And he's repenting, and he's broken, and he's sorrowful for his sin. And look at what he says, though. He says in Psalms 51, 11, Do not banish me from your what? Your presence, God. Please don't banish me from your presence. I couldn't take that. I cannot take that. That's the only reason I defeated Goliath. That's the only reason I ever made it to be this king, your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He didn't say, don't take my crown. He didn't say, don't take my palace. Don't take the royal court that I have surrounding me. He said, don't take your presence from me. That's the key to my life. Is your presence. It's like this, the breath, the air that I breathe. It's the living water that satisfies my soul. These great men, Joseph, David, Moses, they knew that that was a key to God's favor and success was the presence of God in their life. And it's the same for you. It's the same for me. God's presence in my life uh, needs to be more of my pursuit than my, my pursuit for, for fame or for fortune or for maybe a change of circumstances. Maybe you're going after a change of circumstances more than anything else. And here's what God would say. Seek my kingdom first. You seek me first. And all the other things will begin to fall into place. So here's our our point for this is that how do I, what am I to go after? I'm to passionately pursue God's presence. I mean, I go after that. That's what your, your application today is. You got to go after this. Now, God's always pursuing you, by the way. But you want to pursue his presence. You want to deepen your walk with him. You want to be sure that it's not just a Sunday morning thing that you're going through. That's the, like, that's the pinnacle of your Christianity, right? Your Christian faith needs to be you living this in day in and day out. That's what's going to anchor you when you get sucker punched in life. It's not just a message on a Sunday morning. It's you passionately pursuing the presence of God. You say, well, how do I do that? It may not be as hard as what sometimes we, we make it out to be or what we think. I love the illustration that Max Lucado in his, in his book that's called You'll Get Through This. It's a, it's a great book, and some of us are going through that in our life groups right now, and we're about to go through some of that. And I love the illustration that he gives. Uh, I'm not doing magic today, just as a side note, okay? And, uh, but here's what we have. I've got a bowl of water here. And then I've got, and I've got this rock, okay? And let's just pretend that, I, that, that this rock is, is going to be dropped to the bottom of the ocean. Now, in the last service, I dropped this and nearly broke this glass, okay? So I'm not going to do that this time. But the rock is in the bottom of the ocean. It's surround, now, now, let me ask you something. Is the rock surrounded by water? Yes. Is the, is the rock getting wet? What do you think? Yes, the rock's getting wet. Now, so it's surrounded by this water. It's on the bottom of the ocean floor. And this water is all around this rock. But let's just say somehow I was able to retrieve this rock out of the water, right? And it may be a little different because it's a little darker because it's wet now. But eventually it's going to dry. If I were to crack this rock open, what would we find? Would it be wet on the inside? No, it'd be dry. I think, I don't know about limestone, but other rocks, it'd be dry, okay? 
It'd be dry, even though it's been surrounded by, by this, uh, this water all around us. And here's the thing, is that so many of us, our hearts are just like this. Our lives are like this. We are surrounded by the presence of God. Do you know he's here right now? We're surrounded by the presence of God at this very moment. Wherever you're going tomorrow, he's already there. His presence is there, coming behind you. He's surrounding us, but for so many of us, I mean, this rock, it's, it's so hardened that it's, it's the, the, the presence or the water is not infiltrating to the inside. It's not changing from the inside out. When you look at someone like Joseph, or you look at Moses, or you look at other believers who have gone through difficult things in their life, and you find, how do they get through that? How do they make it through things? Rather than being like this rock towards the presence of God, resisting this water entering in, the living water entering in, they're more like this sponge where you go in the water there, and what starts happening? They may be sinking, but what's happening is that that water is infiltrating, right? It's going in. It's inside, it's from the inside out. And then as life, as they go through life eventually, as, they have, as they've understood the presence of God in their life and their, their, their hearts are softened to the presence of God, eventually life is going to squeeze them. And what's going to come out? It's the presence of God. The presence of God comes out, right? That living water, when you look at Joseph's life, you see that is that he's being squeezed over and over again. And the presence of God was so thick in his life that Potiphar was like, there's something about that guy. There's something that's coming out of him that's not bitter. I would think this guy would be bitter. He's not plotting revenge, right? He's not, he's not thinking about how to get back. or he's not. You know, there's something special about him. And I think Joseph was probably able to say as he's asked, what is it that's different about you? Why does this come out of your life that's so different than the other slaves? And he says, I'm in a relationship with God. The living water's coming out of my life. That's what was going on, right? God's presence, God's living water gushing forth out of him. And, and that's what God wants from us as his believers. As you're going through your life and you go in, somehow end up in Egypt and you're going through that difficulty in your life and the, and the presence of God is surrounding you, right? Is your heart so hardened to God's presence that you're just dry on the inside? Or when you go through things and you get squeezed, what comes out? Is it bitterness? Or is it the presence of God splashing off and benefiting others who are around you, not just yourself, how do we passionately pursue God's presence? Let me just give you some things just very quickly. You need to know that God wants this to be the case for you. That's how you are salt in this world. That's how you are light in this world. Uh, people typically see God in you more when you go through hard times than whenever everything's going your way. They see God in you as they see how you respond to things in your life. So how do you, let me just give you some takeaways today. How do you passionately pursue God's presence? Now, as I say these things to you in closing, okay, here's what you're going to be inclined to think. These things, these things are pretty simplistic. Now, here's what I want you to know is that they may seem simplistic in word, but what you need to understand is that our spiritual enemy, Satan, will do everything he can to be sure these things aren't happening in your life. Now, watch this. So how do I pursue God's presence? How do I make sure my heart is softened to the presence of God? Number one, you have got to, if you're in Egypt right now, you got to be sure you are immersing yourself in the word of God. You need to be sure that you are making yourself read God's word. 
If you don't know how to do that, we as your pastors want to help you. We'll give you a plan. We'll, we'll help you with whatever we can. You let us know. That's our job. We want to help disciple you. You've got to immerse yourself, surround yourself with the word of God. I'm talking about you taking it in daily on your own, not just one time a week whenever you can hear me preach. But not only immersing yourself, you reading it, memorizing it. That's why we had you memorize the 23rd Psalm a few weeks ago. We want you to hide it in your heart. You're immersing yourself in God's word. You hear me preach it. You hear Randy preach it. You get in a life group, study God's word with other people. You're listening, not just on Sundays. I'm telling you, listen to other Bible teachers throughout the week. That is saturating your life with the word of God. Do you know why you need to do that? Because it softens your heart. Because you're reminded in that process of who God is. You're reminded of his character. You're reminded of stories like Joseph that God is in control. Rather than starting to run down that road of of the way you think things can turn out. It, It softens your heart to the presence of God. It is your nourishment. It's your living water. And Satan, he will do everything he can to keep you out of God's word. Have you found that to be true? He will do everything he can to keep you out of God's word. And here's the thing. Some of you right now, you're in Egypt and you're like, I'm so weak. I'm so weak. And it could be that you're not getting the nourishment from the word of God. It's the bread of life. It's what you feast on. It's what sustains you. You know, it could be that you are famished spiritually because you've not immersed yourself in God's word You know, we want to help you do that as much as we can. Here's the thing you'll discover as you read God's word. I just want you to know this. Do you know this? That God loves you as much as he loved Joseph. He cares about you as much as he cared about Joseph. He wants to be with you as much as he was with Joseph. And so when you're in Egypt, you've got to to discipline yourself to do this. You're not going to feel like doing it. That's why it's a spiritual discipline. You've got to make yourself. You've got you to gotta read it, and then you're going to find afterwards. You're like, I'm glad I, I did that. It's like working out, right? I don't want to do it, but you're glad, all right? Something good's happening. You've got to sit in his presence. Let him speak. Here's the second thing. Don't stop talking to him. When you're in Egypt, you're going to want to cut off communication. You're not going to want to talk to God. You may even be mad at God, and you're not going to want to talk to him. Maybe you're frustrated or you think it's useless. I've been praying about this forever. Don't stop talking to him. If you're mad, tell him you're mad. If you're frustrated, tell him you're frustrated. What God wants is not a fake plastic smile with eloquent fake words. Do you know what God wants? He wants your gut, level, raw, honest prayers. He wants you to let it all out to him, to vent it all out to him. Maybe you're angry because you lost someone, or maybe you're disappointed with with the strategy that seems to be happening in your life, and you can't understand it right now, and our tendency is to clam up. I'm not talking to you right now. You got to discipline yourself to keep talking to him, even if it's things that you're angry about. You know what you need to do? Tell him about it. Pray out your pain. Let those things out to him. He shows us this kind of authentic, transparent uh, prayer over and over again. You find it in David's prayers. Sometimes I read the Psalms, I'm like, did David really just say that? Wow, that was so raw. 
that he said this. I'm studying right now the prophet Jeremiah, and here's what I find in Jeremiah's life. This guy would not have been a success in uh, compared uh, or, or a success in the eyes of men. He wasn't back then. He was preaching the word of God. People were hating him for it. They were beating him up. They were throwing him in prison. He was angry. There was death happening everywhere and political unrest. And this is what he says. You know what? He, he doesn't clam up. He lets God have it. By the way, God can handle our anger. Lamentations 3 says, You have engulfed us with your anger. He's talking to God. You've chased us down and slaughtered us without mercy. You've hidden yourself in a cloud so our prayers cannot reach you. You ever felt that way? Yeah. You've discarded us as refuse and garbage among the nations. Can he say that? He is. All our enemies have spoken out against us. We're filled with fear. We are trapped, devastated, and ruined. Tears stream from my eyes because of the destruction of my people. My tears flow endlessly. They will not stop until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees. And then what does he say? My heart is what, church? It's breaking. Why do you think God lets that in there right along close to the 23rd Psalm? Right? Your rod and your staff, they come for me. Why why would God not censor that out? Here's what I think. I think God wants you to see that he wants you to talk to him about the things you're angry about. He wants you to pray that pain out to him because here's what happened. Healing starts happening in your heart when you get honest. And if you won't be honest and you won't talk it out and you won't vent to him and you're just going to, maybe you're still praying to him, but it's not real. You're just going through the motions. Healing is not going to happen in your heart and your heart is going to get like that. So you got to immerse yourself in the word of God. His presence is around you. you got to immerse yourself and don't stop talking to him. Even if you're angry about things, talk to him. He wants you to cry out to him. He doesn't want the fake you. He wants the real you. You know what you'll find in Jeremiah's story? You're going to find in his story that he comes full circle back to realizing that God was with him all along. God was seeing him through this. Here's the final thing right here. I encourage you to get in and to pursue God's presence is you've got to make yourself get around God's people. Because here's what's going to happen. When you get bitter or you get angry or you go through a tough thing, maybe you're just going through a struggle right now and you're not bitter yet, but you're just struggling. A tendency is going to be to withdraw. It's going to be to isolate. And I watched Satan do this. He seeks to try to isolate people. And we need each other, church. We need to be in each other's lives. I was talking to a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago who was here in one of our services, and he was so regular for a long long basis, but but he, he, for some reason, kind of got out. He went through a very hard thing with his family, and he got out of the regular habit of coming and meeting in church and worshiping. And and I saw him, and I was like, I'm so glad to see you, man. I've missed you. And he said, yeah, he said, I don't know what happened. He said, it just kind of got derailed. (laughs) He said, the stuff happened in my family. You know, and I, I would reach out to him from time to time and just say howdy and stuff. And he said, no, it was nothing like that. I wasn't mad at anybody. He said one Sunday turned into two, two turned into ten, ten turned into a year. And he said, and then you know what I thought? I thought, what are people going to think? That's what he thought. He said, I was ashamed to come back. Man, I put my arms around him and said, brother, this is your family. We're just glad to see you. We're made to walk together through these things. We're just broken, messed up people walking through life together. 
And there's something powerful that happens when God's people come together. I can't explain it. When you get in a life group and you actually open up and you pray for each other, God's presence is there. Look at this passage, last passage. For where two or three gather together as my followers. Will you say it with me? What does it say? I am there among them. Satan is going to try to shame you. He's going to try to do everything he can to keep you out of the word, to keep you from meeting with the, the, the people of God and iron sharpening iron. He's going to try to keep you from talking to God because those are the things that soften your heart to the presence of God. And as your heart is softened, that's when the living water that has flowed into your life begins to gush forth and it splashes off on others. I want to just invite you to prayer with me right now. Can we just pray? What a story of Joseph, right? It's your story. It's for you. It's for me. Last week I asked how many of you are in Egypt and so many hands went up in every service. I bet there's a lot of you that are in that place today. You'd rather not be there. You probably wish you could just change your circumstances. I wish I could change them for you. And maybe they will change at some point. But what you need to know today is one, that God never left Joseph and he has never left you. He is right there with you. You don't walk alone. Maybe what God wants to change more than your circumstances, maybe what he wants to change is you as you're in your circumstances. He might change the circumstances. I hope he does. Sometimes it's a long process. If you're in Egypt right now, will you just, just take in the fact that he never left Joseph? I mean, he's never going to leave you. I don't care who's walked out of your life, who left. He says, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I will never forsake you. I just want to pray over just you today if I can. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word that it shows us through Joseph's story that when life knocks us down, we're in that place like Egypt. We have the option to get bitter or God, we have the option to walk and draw closer to you. And as life squeezes us, your living water comes out even more. Thank you that you've shown us that we do not have to get bitter in this life. Thank you, God, for stories like Rebecca that we see that she also chose not to be bitter, but to use her pain, Lord, to touch the lives of others. Would you give those who are hurting here today just exactly what it is that they need? Your presence. Your touch. And it's in Jesus' powerful name that I pray.